0: Our text for today is Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Uh, This passage is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon that Jesus ever preached. I'll let y'all get there. Sorry. I was going right at it. I was ready. It could be a little lengthy sermon. I hope not too long. All right. Okay, so... Once again, Matthew six nineteen through 21, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon in, um, the, uh, of Jesus in uh, the Bible. Um, uh, it's, uh, it covers three full chapters, 5, 6, and 7. It was given by Jesus shortly after he began his ministry. And after he had selected his first disciples... Uh, Matthew tells us that just prior to this sermon, Jesus had been going about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, He had been healing uh, every disease and affliction and casting out demons. So his fame spread throughout the land. And as a result, great crowds started gathering around him and his disciples were following him. Um, and so this takes us to Matthew five. Uh, and so if you want to look there, you can, um, we're, we're going to be a little while before we get to Matthew six, but, uh, in Matthew five, let's look at that. It says, um, in verse one and two, uh, um, uh, it reveals the reason why this sermon is known as the sermon on the Mount. It says this, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus went up on the mountain See up on the mountain, Sermon on the Mount, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them. Think about that—the word of God opened his mouth and he taught them. It kind of makes me think about—and God said, right? Uh, uh, so, so please listen carefully because this, this is this is about um, God saying some things to us today, right? That's what it's all about. I, I'm 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 nothing. I'm a mouthpiece, but uh, he's everything. And so I hope I hope that this uh, um, you know finds you there. I Hope you find yourself there, focused on his word, on his words. Um, so uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm just going to give an overview of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, the greater Moses, ascends to the top of the mountain. So so think back to Mount Sinai. Uh, Think back to uh, God's mediator, Moses, right? There with God on Mount Sinai as the old covenant is delivered. Um, Now Jesus on the mount uh, is on this mountain and is both uh, God and the mediator between God and his people. So just just images, right? Pictures. Um, In chapter 5, Uh, Verses 3 through 16, Jesus describes his covenant people in the Beatitudes. Uh, He says, They are poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who uh, are persecuted for righteousness' sake, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And so he, now that he has kind of described what Christians are to be, um, he then in in verses 13 and 14 tells us what we are to do. As the salt of the earth, we are to be preserving the flavor of the gospel here in this world, right? As the lights of the world were to be shining like lights uh, for Christ. I mean, you think about it, We are all this world has of God, in a sense, uh, uh, other than His creation. But I mean that reveals uh, to Him um, uh, and reveals to them salvation, right? It reveals to them the the light. So, so now since He's told us um, who we are and what we are to do, then then He tells us in verses uh, 17 through 20 who He is and what He's here to do and what He came to do and that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, But but thanks be to God that we have a foreign righteousness that's not our own. So it's actually uh, doable, right? Um, Then from Matthew 5.21 to the end of the chapter, Jesus, the new lawgiver, contrasts the standard of the old covenant to that of the new covenant. He wasn't merely just correcting the the Pharisees' misunderstanding of, uh, of the scriptures, of the law, he was actually a new lawgiver who came in um, to bring forth a brand new covenant. And in doing so, he, he raised the bar from mere outward obedience to inward condition of the heart, which was the law's purpose from the very beginning. It's always been that way. But he emphasizes this because the Pharisees were more focused on the outward he brings it to the inward and shows that all of us are, are uh, guilty. Um, which and so, and then in chapter 6, verse 1 through 18, he warns, he warns us not to be like the hypocrites uh, when we give, when we pray, and when we fast, but instead to do all these things from a right heart with pure motives. This brings us to our passage for today. Um, so let's go back to Matthew six nineteen turn there but but as uh, before we go there uh, I must first say this as an elder here as a as a overseer here at the church at Pecan Creek as a as a father as a husband as a father as a grandfather as a brother in Christ as an ambassador for Christ who's making his appeal uh, to men on behalf of God be reconciled to God um, my desire for you all more than anything else. Is that your affections be undivided. That's what this is about. It's about divided and undivided affections. Where's your heart? Is what this gets down to. It gets down to our heart. Um, I, 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 I. My hope is that. Christ will be precious to you. That, that he will. Above all things be your treasure. And that's. That's. that's if I can get that across, then I've accomplished what I've come here to do. Um, so let's look at the text. Matthew six nineteen through 21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we, you are good, you are gracious, you are kind, you are glorious. Uh, we praise your holy name. We thank you for um, allowing us to gather here this morning. We pray that uh, as, as your truth is proclaimed, Uh, that you would get glory as your truth is proclaimed. You would uh, not only uh, impress these truths upon our minds, but you would penetrate our hearts. Oh, Lord, change us, change us, conform us into the image of Christ for your glory. In his name we pray. So here in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust." destroy and where thieves break in and steal and so do not do not is how he starts this sentence Uh, Christ begins here with do not Um, this is a negative uh, imperative Uh, there's no wiggle room here Um, no opportunity for discussion or debate Uh, Jesus is giving you a clear command Uh, uh, now what is Jesus commanding you to do Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth. Uh, To lay up means to store up or or accumulate, to save. Uh, His words here could be just as easily rendered as stop storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Uh, Or the time for storing up treasures, um, excuse me, earth, not heaven, sorry. You do want to store up treasures in heaven. We haven't got there yet, but... But yeah, so so stop laying up for yourselves treasure on earth. Um, uh, The time for laying up treasures on earth has stopped. It has ceased. It's come to an end. What does Jesus mean by treasures on earth? Um, Treasures on earth are those shiny trinkets which your eyes light upon, your flesh desires, and are of great value to you. Uh, your treasure is that which is most precious to you. Um, treasures on earth are generally material, but not always. Uh, they, 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 the, the thing that distinguishes them is they are temporary and volatile. Temporary and volatile. Uh, you can spend your whole life pursuing and accumulating them, and they can vanish in the blink of an eye. Okay, now let's look at Luke 12:16 through 21. Luke 12:16 through 21. Here Jesus tells us this parable, saying, "The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, And the things you have prepared, whose will they be, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This man sacrificed and worked hard producing a harvest uh, producing and harvesting crops, um, tearing down his barns and building bigger ones to store up all this grain. He did this so that he could retire. He laid up ample goods for himself so he could relax, eat, drink, and be merry for years to come. Uh, But as soon as he had finished and was just getting ready to enjoy the fruits of his toil, without warning, his life ended abruptly. Others, not himself, got to enjoy the spoils of his labor. And since he spent his entire life pursuing the creature rather than the creator and since his focus was on stuff and comfort rather than god death and hell were his reward according to christ this man was a fool for laying up treasures for himself and not being rich towards god and that's that's the point of this we, we, we it's uh, we can get so focused on on the cr- the creature, the creation, and we can lose sight of the Creator from which all good gifts come from. Now let's let's go back to Matthew six nineteen. Matthew six nineteen. The second part of verse 19 says, Where moth and rust destroy. According to Jesus, treasures on earth are generally material and temporary in nature. They are growing old, they are deteriorating and fading away. Um, Let's look at James chapter 5 real quick. James chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, let you get there. James chapter 5, starting in verse 1, Jesus' brother, the apostle James, gives the following warning to the rich who would lay up treasures on earth. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Sounds very similar to what we just read in Matthew 6:19, right? Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last day. Treasures on earth in the last day, right? Earthly treasures like your mortal body will one day return to the dust. Uh, if you put your hope in them, then they will testify against you on judgment day. Uh, now back to verse, well, I'll just read it. Verse 19 um, uh, says, where thieves break in and steal. That's where we're going next, right? Matthew six nineteen, where thieves break in and steal. Uh, treasures on earth, are volatile not only are they eventually all devoured by nature and the elements but they also can be taken away from you so uh, paul says to the rich to not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches Uh, paul reveals the volatility of wealth and material possessions second kings 20, 16 through 17, you don't have to go there, I'll just read, I'll just kind of give you an overview and then the point, Uh, after King Hezekiah foolishly showed the Babylonians all Israel's treasure house, Isaiah the prophet came to him and said, hear the word of the Lord, behold the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left says the Lord. It's taken away just like that, right? Our material wealth and property can all be taken away from us in a blink of an eye. Um, this happened to the early Christians uh, uh, by the by the government, right? Uh, Hebrews twelve thirty four tells us how the early Christians joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Um, could you could you accept the plundering of your property? Joyfully accept the plundering of your property? Man, they, had, they, had, they, had, they must have treasures in heaven to be able to do that. I mean, you think about it. If things don't change around here, then in the not-too-distant future, the possibility of having your property plundered just for standing on your Christian convictions is really not that far-fetched, is it? Here in Matthew 6:19, Jesus is telling you to stop wasting your time lighting upon and storing up things that are temporary, that have no eternal value. The, these earthly treasures that seem so precious now will one day be gone. Remember, this is not your home. This is not your home. You're your, your sojourners, you're your visitors here. Uh, you will soon leave this place. So... Don't get too comfortable here. Um, If you are Christ, then you belong to a much greater kingdom. And and it is there that you need to store up your treasures. Uh, Which brings us to the next verse in Matthew, um, verse 20. Jesus continues by saying, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither Moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves. Once again, this is, this is instead of a negative imperative, this is a positive imperative. Once again, no wiggle room, no opportunity for discussion or debate. Jesus is giving you a clear command. Once again, what's he commanding you to do? To lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Uh, uh, Once again, Lay up, same word. Lay up for yourselves means to store up, accumulate, or save. uh, His words here could just as easily uh, be referred to as start laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now is the time to start laying up. The time for storing up treasures in earth on earth has ceased. The time for storing up treasures in heaven has come. Treasures in heaven. Uh, What does Jesus mean by treasures in heaven? Treasures in heaven are immaterial and permanent in nature. Treasures on earth, temporary, right? Material, treasures in heaven are immaterial and permanent in nature. They refer to whatever is of good and eternal significance and are produced through what is done here on earth. Now let's continue uh, here in verse 20. It says uh, where uh, neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Unlike treasures on earth, treasures in heaven are forever exempt from decay and theft. Praise God. Who can store up treasures in heaven? Only those who are going to heaven. Only believers who have been born of God and saved by grace through faith can store up treasures in heaven. But the fact of the matter is, we're all storing up something. While believers are storing up treasures in heaven, what is it that the unbelievers are storing up? Let's turn to Romans 2, 5, and 8 and find out. Here Paul tells us that because of your hard and impenitent heart you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will, he will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, see the difference? Um, one seeks well-doing and the glory and honor and, and immortality while the other uh, seeks is self-seeking. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Do you see the contrast? Do you see the contrast? As believers who seek to obey the truth. Seek God's will above their own. For those who by patience and well doing. Seek for glory and honor and immortality. They are laying up for themselves. Treasures in heaven. But unbelievers who do not obey the truth. And seek their own will. Are busy storing up wrath. For the day of judgment. So. If you're an unbeliever here today, if you're an unbeliever here today, I, I appeal to you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, he's your only hope. Uh, if, if if you do not have Him, this is all you have, and this is coming to an end. So please, please get right to, get right with Him today. If you don't know Him, turn to Him. Um, how do how do believers store up treasures in heaven? Well, you must begin with God. That's where it all begins. You must begin with God. Back in the last section of Matthew 6, Jesus tells us um, to not be anxious about your life and not to worry about food or clothing because your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. Then in verse 33, He tells you, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. The writer of the Proverbs tells you in Proverbs 3 to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Everybody's familiar with this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now let's turn to James chapter 4. We'll look at verse, starting in verse uh, 13. James, chapter 4, 13. Here James tells us, he says, Come now, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what t- tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time. And then vanishes, it vanishes. Instead you ought to say. If the Lord wills we will live. And do this or that. As it is you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Once again do you see the contrast? Do you see the contrast? This how this applies to your decision-making? Um, do you see that the Scriptures clearly teach that there are only two kinds of people, um, those, who are, those who seek the will of God and those who are self-seeking? There are times that people who uh, are Christians might seek their own will, but it's not, a, it's not a pattern of life. Ultimately, a Christian's goal is to seek the will of their Father. To seek the will of their Father in heaven. Right? He's our Father. We're His children. We seek His will, not our own. So, whose will are you seeking and what are you storing up? Are you seeking the will of the Lord and storing up treasures in heaven? Or, are you self-seeking and storing up wrath for the day of judgment? We store up treasures in heaven by seeking the will of the Lord. Now, what does that look like practically? We've got to figure out how this plays out practically, right? We've got this command. We've got to understand how to, how to uh, obey it. So, uh, as, a born, as a born-again believer who is seeking God's will, God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and God's glory, let's now consider how we might store up treasures in heaven. I'd like to share with you um, an excerpt from an article that I ran across during my studies. Specifically, through the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this individual uh, made clear, showed us clearly how the believer is to store up treasures in heaven. We store up treasures in heaven. So this is, this is going to take you through um, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's going to hit every point on how you are to store up treasures in heaven. So, um, and I'm just going to run through them. If, if you want, you can turn you can turn there to, to chapter 5 and, and see if you can keep up. Uh, that's fine. Uh, so, we store up treasures in heaven by being humble and pure in heart. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Showing mercy. Making peace. Being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And I can... That'd be, I'll start quoting some of the verses here. Uh, being the salt in the earth, Matthew 5.13. Being the light of the world, Matthew 5.14. Following God's commands, Matthew 5.19. Resisting anger, Matthew 5.22. Being faithful to one's spouse, Matthew 5.28 and 32. Keeping your word, Matthew 5.37. Turning the other cheek, Matthew 5.39. Providing for physical needs, Matthew five forty and forty two, going the extra mile, Matthew five forty one, loving your enemies, Matthew five forty four, praying for those who persecute you Matthew five forty four. Given to the needy discreetly Matthew six three. Prayer and specifically praying for God's name to be revealed as holy and for his kingdom to come. Matthew six six. Practicing forgiveness. Matthew 6.12 Fasting without drawing attention to yourself. Matthew 6.16 Shunning worry and trusting God to provide for your needs. Matthew 6.25 Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness matthew six thirty three not being unfairly judgmental, but someone who examines their own life and integrity matthew seven one and five pursuing the things of god matthew seven seven entering through the narrow gate matthew seven thirteen being on guard against false prophets matthew seven fifteen practicing authentic discipleship, meaning that we not only believe in Jesus but seek to know Him and do what He says, Matthew 7.21. And finally, being wise by hearing His words and putting them into practice, Matthew 7.24. So there's some... You look through the Sermon on the Mount, read it carefully, and you will know how to store up treasures in heaven. So basically, when we break this down to its most elementary principles, Christians... Store up heaven, store up treasures in heaven by following the commandments of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you break that down. What's it telling you? It's telling you to trust in God and trust in His word. It's telling you to be seeking His will and not your own. It's telling you to die to self. It's telling you to live to God. It's telling you uh, to love God, love neighbor, uh, treat others as you would want to be treated. Right? That that's that's it. If you if that's if your heart is there then your treasures will come from that heart. Storing up treasure in heaven flips the world's economy on its head. What do I mean by that? Think about what the the world seeks after, right? Uh, As as, as we can see, see here in the Sermon on the Mount, storing up treasures in heaven is not a matter of gathering material wealth, but instead a matter of our heart. It always gets back to the heart. Which brings us to our final verse in today's passage, but just because it's our final verse, don't think this is quite over. All right, so so let's turn back to Matthew 6 21. Here Jesus concludes his thoughts about treasure with these words. For where your treasure is There your heart will be also. This is where we're going to spend m- m- most of our time. Okay? Um, so um, here in 21, Jesus address, addresses three things uh, your treasure, your heart, and their location. We've already talked a lot about treasure already. We've already talked. We've talked about treasure. Now let's talk about your heart. Your heart. Um, what is the heart? What is the heart? What is it? That well. That describes that unregenerate heart. Yes, it is deceitful. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about the heart. It is mentioned nearly a thousand times. When Jesus refers to the heart here in verse 21, he is not speaking about the meat pump in your chest. He's not speaking, about, uh, he's not speaking in terms of romanticism, philosophy, or literature. Uh, according to the Bible, your heart is the immaterial spiritual aspect of you, where your emotions and desires dwell. It has been defined as the seat of your being, uh, it is the whole soul of man, the mind, the will, and the emotions. Your heart is the place of your deepest convictions, and it is where all your decisions are ultimately made. The human heart in its unregenerate state is treacherous and deceitful. The prophet Jeremiah says, and Gillian says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can understand it? Jeremiah seventeen nine. Jesus pointed out the condition of fallen men's heart in Mark seven twenty one through twenty three. Mark seven twenty one through twenty three if you'd like to turn there. From within, out of men's hearts comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit. Lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all these come from inside a man. All these come from inside and make a man unclean. From conception, every human being has a heart problem. And only God offers the cure. Your heart must be changed by God in order for you to want to please God. This only happens through believing in Christ and receiving His gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. Romans 10.10 says, With the heart one believes unto righteousness. In Psalms 51.10, David, a man after God's own heart, after realizing the depravity of his own heart, begged God to create in him a clean heart. And according to Ezekiel 36, 26, that's exactly what God does through the new birth. He creates within the believer a clean heart, a heart that hates sin and loves God and desires to obey Him. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and and have been given this new heart that hates sin and loves God and desires to obey Him, and Jesus commands us not to store up treasures here on earth what about working in wealth although jesus tells us do not lay up treasures here on earth and lay up treasures in heaven paul whose writings are also inspired by the same holy spirit makes it very clear in verse uh, in first timothy 5:8 if you want to turn there verse timothy 5:8 That if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Again, you want you have to turn here. Again, in Second Thessalonians 3.10, uh, he says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It is very clear that you must work and provide for your households. Uh, but not only are you to work... You are to work hard. Um, Paul gives these instructions in Colossians 3:23 through 24, if you want to turn there. Colossians 3:23 and 24. Paul says, "Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ." So we are not only to work, but to work heartily as unto the Lord. Because in reality, we are actually serving the Lord Christ with our work. We are also encouraged to be skillful in our work. The writer of the Proverbs makes this observation. He says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. That's Proverbs 22:29. And in Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So, so although you're not to be storing up for yourselves treasures on earth, according to these passages, you are to provide for your family. You are to work hard. You are to be skillful in all of your labor and if possible even leave an inheritance to your children's children often working hard and working well leads to wealth what about the rich what about the rich in Matthew 19:23 through 26 if you'd like to turn there Matthew 19:23 through 26 Jesus gives a sobering warning to the rich. Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. During the time of Jesus, being rich was a sign of God's favor uh, uh, upon you. Uh, in our culture, even with, in the church, to be wealthy is often considered to be the greatest mark of success. But according to Jesus... Being rich decreases your chances of entering the kingdom of heaven immensely. Although Jesus was using hyperbole, an extreme figure of speech, to emphasize his point, his point still remains. It is basically impossible for a rich person to receive eternal life. Think about Israel. Every time God would prosper them, they would go after what he gave them, and turn away from him. They turn away from him and chase after what he had given them. In 1702, the Puritan minister Cotton Mather made the following observation about early colonial America. Think about this. This was in 1702. He's making this observation about colonial America. He said, Religion or godliness brought forth prosperity, and the daughter destroyed or devoured the mother. Think about that. What's he talking about? Religion brought forth prosperity, and the daughter devoured the mother. Early America was founded on Christian principles. These Christian principles produced prosperity. You think about it, you're talking about heterosexual, monogamous relationships. You're talking about people, um, through their Christian principles, wanting to do good for others. And this produced prosperity. Uh, however, the people of America eventually forsook godliness and pursued the prosperity the godliness produced. Um, how might a Christian whom the Lord prospers materially avoid fo- avoid this trap? If, you've been, if you have been blessed with money, how do you avoid falling into taking your eyes off the Creator and putting them back I mean on the creation and putting them back on the creator. How do you how do you do that? How do you redirect your focus when you've got all this stuff? Paul the apostle in first Timothy six seventeen through nineteen exhorts the rich. That's first Timothy six seventeen through nineteen, if you're interested in turning there. He exhorts the rich not to be haughty nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. If God chooses to prosper your hard work or if you receive an inheritance, then do not put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. That's what Paul calls it, the uncertainty of riches. Uh, Because the very thing that people find their security in in this world is the very thing that God considers to be temporary, volatile, and uncertain. Remember, according to Christ, being rich is not an enviable position. Because it is nearly impossible for a rich person to be saved. But there are exceptions to that rule in the Bible, including uh, Joseph uh, there in Egypt, right? Uh, Daniel, King Josiah, Joseph of Arimathea, the rich women who funded Jesus' ministry. And this is to name a few. Um, but for now, I'd like to, for us to consider Job. I'd like for us to consider Job. He he was the greatest of all the people of the East in regards to wealth and possessions. And although he was extremely rich, he was also blameless and upright and feared God and turned away from evil. He was fair to his workers and very compassionate and generous towards the poor, the orphans and the widows. Then one day, everything that Job had worked so hard for Everything he dedicated his entire life to, including his seven sons and three daughters, were all taken away from him, just like that. Gone. Uh, What was his response? What was his response? Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground and worshipped God. Although Job had a lot of stuff, his stuff did not have him. Uh, Although he had great material wealth, it's very clear that his treasures were in heaven. In Philippians 4, Paul tells us that he had learned in whatever situation he was in to be content. Uh, He knew how to be brought low and he knew how to abound. And in every circumstance, he learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. There were times that Paul had abundance. He had abundance, yet like Job, he did not allow the taking away of his material goods to take his eyes off Christ. Although Paul had experienced abundance and Job, great material wealth, their hearts and their treasures were clearly in heaven they understood the secret of contentment. Whether they were rich or poor, their eyes remained fixed on God. The question I want to leave you with, or two questions, the two questions I want to leave you with is, where is your treasure? And where is your hope? Let's quickly look at Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. The writers of Hebrews tells you to keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? If you have some money, whether rich or middle class, Keep your life free from the love of money. Do not put your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If you are poor, understand that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. In Matthew 6 and Luke 12, Jesus tells us not to be anxious about our life, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. He reminds us that if he is he reminds us that he is that if he is able to care for the Lilies of the field and the ravens. How much more value are we to him than they? In summary, summary, um, um, to store up treasures in heaven, what must you do? First of all, trust God. Honor God. Thank God. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Do not lean on your own understanding Work, and when you work, work heartily as unto the Lord. Provide for your families. Be skillful in your work. Do not pursue wealth. Pursue Christ. If God provides you with every good thing to enjoy, then enjoy it. But be careful not to allow the good gifts to take your eyes off the good giver. Instead of hoarding up earthly treasures, be generous And ready to share. And as you receive blessings from God. Be like him. And bless others. Spend your time and resources. Doing good. And in doing all of this. From a pure heart. You will be storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. As a good foundation for the future. Ultimately our treasure. Ultimately our treasure is in heaven. And our treasure is Christ. That's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time. We we get to spend meditating on your word, considering these things that uh, uh, you have there. Lord, I pray that uh, you would penetrate hearts, change minds, help us know uh, where our treasure is today, Lord. Help us uh, pursue treasures in heaven and um, also help us be responsible with uh, all that you have given us and uh, help us trust you when we are uh, lacking Lord help us help us make Christ our treasure above all things. may he be precious to us uh, in jesus' name, I pray.